0: Okay, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians 1. I think you know that's where we're going to be if you tuned in uh, last week. Um, and then also I will say, Clint, you win the comments. Uh, um, that your, your favorite thing was watching me figure out where the comments are. I'm really, really proud of you for that. Um, and, then, uh, and it was encouraging just to hear Quran. You got to walk to the donut shop. That is incredible. And get some donuts this morning so um, that's awesome so Colossians 1 15 through 20 uh, I'm gonna read it for us again uh, last week well I'm just gonna read it for us and then we'll we'll hop into uh, what, what we're gonna do what we're gonna do with this passage this week Colossians 1 15 through 20 he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. All things were created through him and for him. And he is built for all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent." For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so I didn't do much of this last week, so I'm actually going to take just a few moments to set up some of the context this week because it's uh, it's really pertinent to uh, what the Lord would have to teach us in the midst of Colossians. And so the, the church, um, the Colossians, are actually being tempted uh, to believe in a false teaching. Uh, Paul writes many of his letters to refute false teaching, but unlike many of those other letters, the one, the false teaching going on in Colossae is a little bit more ambiguous. Uh, We're not exactly sure what it is or who it is. Sometimes, so Paul will actually call people out by name and say, "Hey, don't listen to this person. You know, turn away from them. They're they're teaching a false gospel." Here, it's it's a little more ambiguous. But chapter two actually gives us a bit of insight uh, into the false teaching. So, if you just flip over to chapter two, I'll I'll read a couple of verses for us that help us see a little bit of what the Colossians are being tempted to uh, believe. If, If you look at verse eight, it's probably one of the clearest um, pictures of what uh, Paul's warning them from. So in verse 8, chapter 2, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then actually, if you flip down to verses 18 and 19 uh, in Colossians 2, he kind of talks about it a little bit more. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And so in general, there's this false teaching that's putting Christ forward as less than. Um, we see that there's some kind of philosophy that promises more than it delivers, that it's an empty philosophy. And we can see from this uh, passage and and really much of the rest of chapter 2 that it seems to be some mixture of modern culture and of Christian and Jewish religious practices that are kind of just being syncretized and mixed together. Um, And it's seemingly from people claiming to be Christians. And these false teachers are doing things and they're claiming that what they offer Will really provide this this fulfilling life, uh, much more fulfilling than the one and the gospel that the the Colossians are holding to, and the one that Paul proclaimed when he was there. Um, and and they also just seem to be doing it in this superior kind of way because Paul calls them puffed up and conceited, maybe not even uh, saying, hey, come follow us, but just kind of uh, being aloof and prideful about this secret way or this this better way as they look down on uh, the Christians of Colossae. Um, but what's interesting is that Paul responds to all of this with the, the letter that we're reading. and And after his open introduction, And after a prayer that he kind of recites for the Colossians, um, we we come to the passage that we're we're studying, verses 15 through 20. Uh, And this is the passage that Paul uses to begin to refute this false teaching uh, at Colossae by introducing the Christ that rules over all of Colossae and all his splendor. Uh, But what's really unique uh, about the way Paul refutes this false teaching is that almost every scholar I've read, believes that verses 15 through 20 are actually a hymn. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a, a hymn that Paul used um, and kind of edited to, to serve the Colossians or if he actually um, penned it and crafted it to, uh, to serve the Colossians in this way. But Paul responds to this false teaching with a song, a song rich with eternal truth about Jesus, a song that the Colossians can use to refute the false teaching uh, with truth, but also a song that will nourish their souls in, in only a way that a song can, uh, I think that you know that 's one of the reasons we 've been singing uh, this song that Andrew Peterson wrote uh, just on this uh, passage, um, just to let this truth wash over our souls uh, in that way that only a song can can really do and then as we I mention that because as we come to our text today, we actually come to the center point of this hymn, kind of the the focal point of this hymn. um, The reality that Jesus holds all things together. And so last week we saw that Jesus was from the beginning of time and he was through the end of time that he created all and he is the purpose of all creation. So we get this comprehensive view that he was there in the beginning before anything that was made and that in the end we will see that all things were actually made for him. But this week we focus on who Jesus is right now. We see that for the church at Colossae. He was holding all things together and we see that he is doing that even now. And then next week, we'll see what he did to invite us in to enjoy these cosmic truths as we celebrate Easter uh, next week and talk about how he's the firstborn from the dead and how he has reconciled all things to himself. Um, and then, uh, and so really this this morning, we're just going to focus on these seven words out of verse 17. It just says it's simply in in him all things hold together and i want us to focus on uh really our walk with jesus and walking with jesus and being with jesus as we look at these seven words and i think these seven words will one help us walk honestly with jesus and and learn from jesus just just think about the reality friends that that we get to know have a personal relationship with follow and be discipled by the very one that holds all things together. That is an incredible truth. Um, And so first, I just want us to walk honestly with Jesus. That's what I want us to consider as we look at these words, walking honestly with Jesus. And here's step one to doing that, is realizing we often don't really believe that Jesus holds all things together. To, to walk honestly with Jesus, we need to admit, we often don't really believe that Jesus holds all things together. I think in the church, especially, we become a bit numb to how profound this statement is. We so flippantly agree to it because we know it's true. Um, even as you consider that this holistic picture of Jesus that this passage puts forth, um, if all of it isn't true, then, then none of it's true. Just think about it. if he was literally the firstborn, If he isn't actually before all things, that would mean he came from something and he's part of creation, not the creator. And even now in our statement today, if he isn't holding all things together, that would mean there is some being more powerful than him that he is relying upon and in need of. And as we'll learn next week, if he didn't make a way for us through the cross and resurrection, then there's really just no way for his rebellious creation to know him. But let's just try to be honest for a moment. I feel like one of my jobs as a pastor is to help us be honest. And I feel like one of my job as a Christian and as a sheep and one of your jobs is to realize, to be honest with you, how often it is really hard to be honest. But you're in your home. I'm in my home. If we can't be honest right now, when when can we be? So let's just be honest um, that there is much in our life. There's much that goes on in our life uh, that shows that we do not believe that Jesus holds all things together. Our lives are full of fear and worry and anxiety and frustration, sinful ambition, addiction, anger, and a list of things uh, that come from a belief that we are actually the ones holding all things together and and not Jesus. Think about how anxious we get in parenting. If I don't make the, the perfect parenting decision, my kids won't be held together. If I don't make the perfect impression at work, my job won't be held together. If I don't make the perfect grades, my future won't be held together. If I don't preach the perfect sermon, the church won't be held together. If we really believe Jesus holds all things together, we can actually, in those situations and, and much more, actually be really still for a moment. And not, not, not like still and resting because we're exhausted and burnout and we can do nothing else, but actually still and present in such a way that we're actually there. Uh, that way that we're realizing he's holding all things together. So I don't have to uh, just be so busy and anxious about going on to the next thing, but I can st- be still and present with Jesus and with ourselves. Um, I think for many of us, that's a, that's a really scary thought. And that's just one of the ways that we show that we don't really believe Jesus is holding all things together is that we're uh, terrified of calming our hearts and calming our minds and just being with him and being with ourselves and considering our own lives. That's not what we need to spend all of our life doing, but do you spend any of your life doing that? And and if you don't, can, can you see that connection? that that maybe you don't because you're not actually believing he holds all things together. It's actually in those moments when you can be with Jesus and be before yourself that that real healing can start to take place, that we can start to come to grips with our brokenness, our wounds, our suffering, our sin, um, and hopefully start to realize that if Jesus actually really does hold all things together, that you can face that sin that you've been hiding. If Jesus really does hold all things together, you can face that hurt that keeps affecting you. If Jesus really does hold all things together, you can be honest about your doubts, um, that, that he's the one holding all things together. You are not holding all things together, so you can let go of the need to have that power We live in this beautiful, but yet broken world. And if you've lived for any amount of time, our lives have been affected by the brokenness of this world. And we all need healing. And it's a healing that Jesus offers. But are we willing to accept every bit of his offer? We're so often just want to accept, like he holds all things together in this part of my life, but not these parts of my life. And he commands authority over all things. So we must acknowledge him for who he is, not, not who we have created him to be. Are you, are you willing to do that? Willing to accept every bit of his offer? Or, or we be, will we be like many that hear him and turn away, believing his teachings just too hard and too extreme? For any of us to walk with Jesus is to be continually called out of the darkness and into the light. Are you willing to continually to keep to take those steps? coming out of the darkness and into the light. We do that initially when we place our our faith in him. Um, And then as Christians, we continually do that day in and day out. And and just what that means for you, if if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, it's just that, that you believe that you need what he has done for you. You believe that you've rebelled against him. You believe you've sinned and you need a savior. And you believe that what Jesus did when he lived his perfect life, when he died on the cross and when he resurrected was what you actually need for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you place your faith in him. You you turn from those sins and turn to Jesus. And then what we continue to do for the rest of our Christian life is finding joy in that very thing again and again and again. But are you willing, are we willing to take those steps uh, over and over again? Pause just for a moment and consider Where in your life do you most struggle to believe that Jesus holds all things together? Where is that in your life? Maybe it's with a big decision that is looming in your life. Maybe it's with your anxiety over your children. Maybe it's with your addiction to social media. Maybe it's with the constant discontentment. Maybe it's a hidden sin that you've never brought into the light. Maybe it's actually just a general lazy attitude attitude toward the things of God. Just just pause for a moment and consider. Ask God to help you see where in your life do you really struggle to believe that He holds all things together. So wherever this is for you, it is a place where Jesus invites you to walk honestly with him. It's where he calls you out of the darkness and into the light to convict, to encourage, to heal. He has much to say to you in that. He has much comfort you comfort for you in that. He wants great fellowship with you in that. Um, and so would you trust him? And so let's let's take a moment just to, to learn from this Jesus, this, this one that that holds all things together. As you consider that area of your life, let's turn to Jesus and and look to him. And I'm just going to highlight just a a few moments in the life of Jesus to help us learn from this one that holds all things together. I think about even the passage Randy started with in in Mark 11. It says, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that would cut from the fields, and those who went before And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And I think about the crowd that was forming around Jesus. And I think about, to be honest with you, it even brings me back to how we use social media. Like imagine social media in this day and all that would happen. And imagine yourself in Jesus' spot being caught up with thousands of likes and things going viral and you're just caught up and you, you post something and you're like, oh man, so many people are, are liking this. And then you, you're just excited and you continue to check it and you think, man, this is going to go viral. And man, I'm going to be on Ellen. This thing is going to be awesome. Um, and, and how often the, the, like that, that pull on our heart. Um, and again, I think social media is a beautiful thing. Even now, it's actually of an important thing but it's an important thing for us to engage um in a sense learning from jesus as we engage that when you look at this part of his life and the crowd that formed and as as we know that that same crowd that here in just a few days would be shouting crucify him and brothers and sisters to be honest with you that's that's not very different than the crowds that we would gather that they would be praising us one day and then critiquing and condemning us the next think about how often even Jesus was fond of shrinking crowds. I uh, think about in John 6 when he had a crowd before him, but he uh, taught them. And then many turned away saying, how can we believe this hard teaching? And so Jesus was, wasn't uh, concerned about grabbing for power and grabbing uh, for crowds, uh, partly because he has all power. Uh, The one that actually is powerful is willing to relinquish all of that power and not grab for it. Consider that. And then even if you think about the whole life of Jesus and and the disciples that he had, and and you think about how he knew from the very beginning one was in his midst that would betray him and that it would lead to his death. I mean, have, have you considered that? And again, I think sometimes we just realize, oh, yeah, but he came to die and stuff like that. But, but he had someone that was with him all the time that was going to betray him. Um, and he, he knew his fate. He knew where that was going to lead. And he knew the person largely responsible for that very thing. Um, and yet, when we see his life, his life isn't full, exa- full of anxiety stressing about that reality but full of peace, perfect in peace, as he kept his mind on the Father's will. We, we see Jesus uh, remaining peaceful, knowing that his worst case scenario was actually going to come true. So, so often anxiety fills our lives um, because our worst case scenario might come true. Jesus knew it was going to come true, and yet he still lived this peaceful life. He knew his fate, yet was full of peace. And then uh, as I think about Jesus, he doesn't run to the next ministry opportunity. He doesn't run just to the next opportunity. His whole life seems to be a picture of engaging the person right in front of him, showing compassion through just deliberate action and thought and conversation and eye contact, how much it says Jesus looked upon this person, that, that he was intentional in that. He isn't on just to the next person flippantly. I think about the woman at the well um, where, where Jesus has no concern of his reputation among his disciples or among anyone else, but, but he looks to her and considers her. Uh, but then he just does so much more with her. I'm going to read out of John 4 when he has this interaction. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your, cu- your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then we see later on in John 4 that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So Jesus even has this woman's best interest at mind even when she doesn't necessarily have her best interest at mind, Jesus knew her. He knew the darkest secrets of her life. He knew the things that brought her the most shame, and yet he displays his love. So in all of these, Jesus has something to teach us. Like there's there's something that if we're if we're following this Jesus, there's there's something we need to learn from how he interacts with people. Um, but but. What I want to focus on is is how Jesus responds to you in each of these moments, in each of these stories, with each of these truths. The one that holds all things together. The ones that if he said neurons would stop firing, that, that there would be no stars in the sky, that they would collapse in on themselves, that nothing would exist that exists right now if he doesn't hold all things together. But yet that very God has something to say to you and to me. Jesus says to you, I have all power and I will use, you can trust me to use every ounce of my power for your good. He says, let the cross display my willingness to use my power for your good. So Jesus doesn't just say, I'm powerful, be powerful like me. He says, I'm powerful and I will use every bit of that for your good. Jesus says to you, I know you're anxious. You don't have to hide it from me. I know life can be hard. I have lived it. You have nothing to fear because I am with you. Brothers and sisters, if you, if you struggle with anxiety, one of the things that multiplies that struggles is if you let shame keep you from Jesus being with you in that anxiety. There's so much that we need to do to get over the complex things that go on in our life and the hurts and the wounds that we can experience. But it's so much harder if we're not willing to be honest and let Jesus walk with us in the midst of that anxiety, to cling to him, to turn to him, to be honest with him for however long the struggle goes on, that he he knows what it's like to be you. He does. And then he said, man, I've walked this road and I am with you. And then Jesus says to you, I I know all that has gone on in your life. I've seen everything. I know that all that's going on right now. I know your mixed motivations. I know your desire to serve me and your desire to make much of yourself. I see all of that. You can't hide any of that from me. I see your sin. I see your insecurity. I see your suffering. I see it all. And just like he looked upon the woman at the well, he looks upon you and says, and I love you. I love you. I gave my life to show the the beautiful, abounding love that I have for you. Would you believe me? Would you believe that I see all of that and I look upon you and I love you? And that's why we get to rejoice uh, in, in the reality that this God holds all things together that there's no other God that holds all things together. And there's so many other gods of this world or uh, made up gods of other religions that would be uh, so much more berating. But we have a God that sees us and knows us, holds all things together and shows the depths of his love for us. And so would you trust in this God? Would you believe upon this God? As we we look at Jesus' life, he shows us how to live a life believing that he holds all things together the very one that holds all things together shows us how to live a life believing in Him that He really does hold all things together. He has all power. He is peace. He is love. And this is the one that holds you and I together. And so in that, might we lay down our grabs at power. Maybe we lay down our sinful ambition. Sometimes it's hard to know, am I just being ambitious in a fruitful way? Or am I being sinful, sinfully ambitious? That's where community can come and help and be a part of that, to be a part of that conversation, be praying for you, be with you in that. But those that we know are just sinful grabs of power, are sinful desires to gather a crowd around us. Would we, would we lay those down to the one that has all power? Would we embrace his peace in the midst of our anxiety? We embrace his peace and his presence in the midst of our anxiety, and when we enjoy his deep abiding love for us, a deep abiding love for us in spite of his knowledge of all the flaws of our life. And would that empower us to walk in the light, to to confess our sins one to another, as James 5 says, that we might be healed. Would you, Maybe you need to reach out to your community group leader. Maybe you, need to have, maybe you need to talk about something that's not best to talk about in the midst of the whole group just yet, but you need to reach out and say, hey, brother, sister, I, I really have got something I need to, to share with you and I need to confess something to you as the Lord has convicted me uh, throughout this week. Because here's the thing, there's so many bizarre things going on uh, right now, but there's so many temptations that come our way and, and the reality of the, the spiritual life uh, has not paused during this whole time but we're still encouraged and moved and sanctified and we're still tempted and sin and fall into it. And and the hole that we can even go in now might be quicker and deeper than the hole that we can go in when we're not as so clearly isolated. And so brother or sister, confess that to one another. Uh, Invite each other into each other's lives in that way. And you can do that because Jesus holds all things together. So when we walk with him, especially in the midst of those areas of our lives that maybe you thought about where you struggle to believe that he holds all things together. Let me pray for us in this way. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that even now as we are gathered in different homes and different places, um, as we do this yet again and, and really even don't know for how long we will be doing this. Jesus, I do find great comfort in the reality that you hold all things together. Would you help me believe that? Would you help me believe it, uh, not just now, but in those other moments throughout the week, when when I'm struggling with frustration and parenting, Um, when I'm struggling with uh, what you're doing in and through Northbrook Church, Um, when I'm just struggling Uh, struggling to walk with you, struggling to follow you, struggling to learn from you, and struggling to to believe the words you say to me, Um, that you use your power for my good, that you love me even though you see it all. I just proclaim that you are so unlike anything we've ever known, so unlike any person we will ever know, and how how good news that is, uh, that you are this good God to us. So help us lead us, guide us um, in this this time that isn't outside of your sovereign uh, control, but help us tune in to you, Holy Spirit, what you're leading us to and how you want us to uh, really share the gospel through word and deed in our communities and with each other and care for one another and be faithful to you. Would you bless us and keep us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.